We've been doing a series called You Are Here, and the idea of you are here is you are where you are, but we're on a journey on our relationship to be closer and draw closer to God. So we started this series with the idea of solitude and being alone with God because the ultimate point of what we want is not to be shaped by what people say about God, but actually listen to what God says. So we asked you to practice solitude, and as you got alone with God, then we talked about the trash can, getting offloading the stuff that destroys our relationship with God, the idea of confession and saying, I'm not going to do that, and saying, getting rid of that. And then from there, we went into last week, in which we talked about simplicity, because I don't know about you, but after I unload a bunch of stuff, sometimes I load it back in. Like you ever go to the garage sale? Anybody know the people who do the garage sale and they sell $120? worth of stuff, and then they buy $140 worth of stuff from the neighbor? And no, okay, this is just me. Um, but the reality is, what we're trying to do is go on this journey with God. So it's adopting this mentality of, my name is Daniel Barry, your name is not, but my name is Daniel Barry, and I'm a follower of Jesus. And my hope and my desire, and our hope and our desire is for you to be able to say that phrase, my name is and I'm a follower of Jesus. And here's the good news. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of rights and wrongs, but it's being in the presence of the relationship with Jesus. This is the relational journey we're on. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we're on this journey, we've talked about solitude, we talk about confession, we talked about simplicity. All of those are kind of you trying to find your relationship with God alone. But somewhere along the journey, you're going to run into other people. Have you ever been on a trail and all of a sudden there's other people on the trail and you're like, dude, what's up? This is my trail. Only it's not, right? And so how do we handle the people that we encounter on the trail? This is called hospitality. In Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Isn't it cool to, to think as you practice hospitality, you, you could be welcoming angels? And even beyond that, he's saying, you're helping other people see who I am. And so he says, don't neglect to show hospitality. It is a command hospitality is a command. Now, if you're like me, that scares you a little because some of you are like, I'm really good at hospitality. Not grammar. Hospitality. This is my jam. I get this, right? And some of you are like, me? Like when I went off to college and the thought of my mom coming to my apartment scared me to death because I knew my apartment wasn't going to be clean as much as it should have been. And I knew that I knew how to make five, four things at that time. My refrigerator was filled with things like cheese and... Yeah, that was about it, right? And so I remember this, and I remember thinking, oh, I don't want to host people over. And, and, but my mom even had to sometimes go to my brother, who was probably even worse at hospitality at the time, because if you went to his house where he lived with a bunch of guys, they decided to save money as a house. They were not going to buy toilet paper because paper towels were cheaper. I know. And so my mom wouldn't even go there. And sometimes I sit there and I go, you know, that's a lot of times how we practice things at the church. We think we know what makes people feel at home and we cut corners and we do it our way. And, and we don't really set up the home to be a place for outsiders to come in. That's not what we're about. If you go to Discovering Calvary, which is a class that tells you more about our church, I encourage you to do that. It's once a month. Maybe if you haven't been in years, you want to go back and go in that class again. 
one of the things we talk about in that class is how we want you to feel at home here as you draw closer to God. But we also want our home to be set up for guests. So if this is your first time, it doesn't matter who you are, we want you to feel welcomed and loved because we think this is Jesus would want us to do. Let brotherly love continue. Love for brothers, treating strangers as brothers. How do I know that? Because hospitality in this context literally means to show brotherly love to strangers. It's easy to just practice hospitality sometimes to the people we know the best, right? It's easy to practice hospitality to the people who look like us, talk like us, walk like us. But God asks us to show hospitality to the random stranger we bump into on the trail of life. At the bank. At work. At our school. At the gas station. At Kroger. As the guy cuts you off in traffic. Hospitality. I don't want to hospitality that. But the idea here is we want to engage people with what Jesus has done for us. Now here's a freeing thing. Hospitality is less about what you do and more about the sentiment behind the action. Now we use the fork and the spoon and the knife as the illustration because a lot of times hospitality circles around food, right? Because all of us eat. But hospitality looks for the common bond and shows that you care. We all eat, so that's a natural way to practice hospitality. But it's so much more than the action. It's the attitude of saying, I care about you. It's loving a brother as a brother uh, to treat strangers as family. This is important because in Luke uh, chapter uh, 14, verses 12 through 14, here's what it says. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you could be repaid. Now, that's not saying that you shouldn't ever invite those people over to your house. Like, mom, can't invite my sister over to my house. The Bible told me to, right? Sorry, can't invite my brother over. Nope, done with that. No, it's saying don't make that the only people you invite over. On the contrary, when you host a, a banquet, a party, a celebration, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So when you throw a party, invite everyone. Not just the people that you think would want to come, but, but everyone. Invite everyone. And that's important. The word banquet there is a party. Party. And if only we threw a party here. Wait, we do. In a few weeks, we're throwing something called Party at the Park. And it's at the Tippecanoe County Amphitheater, and and it's going to be great. We're going to have a few thousand of our friends who are going to come. And what we're going to do is we as a church are going to say, everything here is free, and we want you to come, and we want you to have a great time, and we are going to try to be hospitable to everyone who comes, right? And it's free. What? It's free? Well, actually, it's not free because nothing is free. So who's paying for it? You are through your tithes and offerings. Thank you for being very generous. We appreciate that. But what we're ultimately trying to do is help people to see Jesus. We are to be hospitable because it is an on-ramp 
to someone understanding the good news of Jesus. It is an on-ramp to someone understanding the gospel. We aren't doing it just to be nice. We aren't doing it to satisfy our requirements of the faith. We are doing it because we want others to see and know Jesus. Now, here's where it's interesting. To truly practice hospitality means we will practice something that is countercultural. True hospitality is countercultural. What do I mean by countercultural? People are going to go, what's your angle? Right? Okay, why are you doing this? Dude, you're being nice. Why would you want to be nice? What do you want for me? We're taught this on from an early child, right? If someone does something for you, it's because they want something from you. And you think you chase this around, you chase after what God wants you to do. And sometimes we think we want to do this, but let me explain to you how this works from a pastor's perspective. I'm a pastor, y'all may not know that. That's why I'm kind of up here for it. And if a pastor, I can sometimes be lulled into a sense of doing what is right for the sake of the action instead of the sake of the intent. And if I'm not careful, here's how this works. I come up here and I preach. And I, some of you have heard me say this. And in a vulnerable moment, I can sit there and I go, after I leave, I really would love everyone to come up to you and go, Daniel, that was the best sermon I have ever heard. Right? Good job. And I go, yay, I'm following Jesus well. Except at that moment, it's not really about Jesus. It's about me. See how quickly that happens? I can get my ego stroked and all of a sudden the the things that I do, the motions that I walk through can ultimately be about Daniel Barry and his glory and his fame and his notoriety rather than really saying, God, I want this to be about your glory. That's what hospitality guards us again. And and the counterculture says, I'm not going to do this. And the way this looks is if I'm not careful, what I end up doing is going around to the people that seemingly matter more. I use I never do this, but it's kind of fun. Quotes, woohoo! And so I can sit there and I go, well, is that person on the personnel team, which is my direct supervisors in this church? You may not know that. Well, then I really care what they think about. But that person, no, they're hardly ever here. What do I care what they think, right? Does anybody ever else do this? Like, I don't know, maybe work a little harder when the boss is around? Right? Or do you ever sit there and you think, I want to do what is right, and I'm going to do things, but all I really want is a little notoriety. Hello, moms, right? Dads? I mean, is it too much for them to say thank you when I do their laundry? I mean, these kids want three meals a day. Three? And all I want them to do is to take their plate over to the dishwasher and say, thank you. What's wrong with these kids? These Oh, they're my kids. That's right. Oh. And the reality is sometimes we want to do the right thing, but somehow we twist it and we distort it. And ultimately what we do is we really make it about us. But true hospitality is counterculture because it's not really about us. And one of the ways we measure it is true hospitality requires sacrifice. Invite in the poor, the lame, the blind, and don't expect anything. Put up a party and spend your money, but don't expect to be repaid. How do you sacrifice? And what does that look like? Are you asking, what do you get out of it? What if you never get any recognition? Are you still willing to do it? What if you never get what you think you deserve? You may never get anything. 
So why are we compelled to do it? Because it shows we understand what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to read now a scary passage. <laughs> Isn't that fun to say, I'm going to read a scary passage? And there's actually two parts to this. I'm going to paraphrase the first part because the first part is the disciples around there and Jesus saying, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And they're like, Jesus, we did, we've never done anything. You've never been the least. So, you know, everything we've done, I don't understand. And he goes, whatever you've done for, you've done for me. And then he flips the script. We're going to read in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 40. And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, or hell. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you do, did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go into eternal punishment for the righteous into eternal life. But the righteous into eternal life. I sit there and I go, whoa, that's a little scary. Because I'm pretty dutiful. And I, I might do whatever Jesus asks me to do, but am I supposed to wear this idea of doing whatever I do for whoever I encounter and always understanding what it means to always be on guard and always do everything for everybody? That is a huge burden. He's not saying you have to do everything right, but what he is saying in this passage is if you never do something without expecting something in return, you've never really grasped the good news of having a relationship with Jesus. If you never do something for other people without expecting something in return, you've never really grasped the good news of Jesus. But when you learn to do what God has done for you, without expecting in return, the reason you learn it, the reason it's countercultural, the reason it makes a difference, the reason you want to do it is because you learned that you and I, we are secretly all the least of these. We are the ones that Jesus came for. We are the lame. We are the blind. We are the wounded. We are the poor. We are the ones that Jesus came and gave his life for us and practiced hospitality and gave us everything. So why wouldn't we do this for others? Hospitality proves we understand the gospel. It just does. But here's how we get off track. Because I don't know about you, I like to play golf. And I, I like to play golf because I like to be alone with God in nature. Now, I'll play golf with other people, but one of my favorite things to do is to play golf by myself. Some of you like hiking, but to go on the you are here and the trail and all that stuff, hiking's not really my thing. There's like ticks and poison ivy and it might rain, bears. Who wants to be here? I don't like carrying, you know, that. Golf, I wanna, when I hike, I want it to be on a well-manicured lawn, right? 
chasing a ball around. That's my idea of being alone in nature. Now, what will happen, some of you are looking like at me, I'm crazy. It's okay. This is my story, not yours. The reality is when I'm out in this nature, it might be a really beautiful, like 76 degree day. And I might sit there and think to myself, self, you should go play golf. It is a beautiful day. The wind's just slightly, just enough to give you a breeze, but not enough to, to make the ball go crazy. Go out and play golf. And I'll go out to the golf course, and you know what? Other people will have had the same idea as I have. And all of a sudden, I'll be like mad at the golf course, going, why are all these other people here? This is supposed to be my day alone with God. I want to be in nature with God, drawing close to you, and all these people showed up. Anybody? Or you're on a trail, or you're at a tourist attraction, and then you wanted to see Mount Rushmore. And there's all these people at Mount Rushmore. Or you wanted to go see Niagara Falls and see the pristine beauty. That's a hard word to say, pristine beauty. The, the beauty of the falls. And all of a sudden, there's like thousands of people there. And you're like, leave! I want to be alone with God in nature. Y'all are looking at like, are y'all kind of judging me right now? I'm feeling a little judged. But that's what we do all the time. And ultimately, it shows that David Platt says it best. If you've ever heard someone say that, I have heard that people say this before, or I've heard pastors say this, God loves you so much that even if you were the only one, he would have still died for you. That is a wonderful sentiment, except it's totally not true. Why? Because you weren't the only one. You were never the plan to be the only one. And we have to stop acting like a consumer that Jesus came to give you something. Why did you join this church? Or why do you here today? Maybe well, my mom make me. Okay. But other than that, if you picked this church and you chose to be here, and let's call yourself a member, why did you come be a part of this church? Probably because you felt it was best for you, for your family. We buy in this consumer mentality all the time. And, and wouldn't it look better if, now hear me, you have to find a church to get plugged in. And we're glad you're here and you need to join a church that's preaching the, the gospel, the good news. You need to have a church that talks about the cross and, and teaches the Bible. But ultimately, it shouldn't be just about gathering with the people who look the most like you. Ultimately, we gather together to draw closer to God and share that love with the world. And this is hospitality. It would be easy, except hospitality is spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare. What do I mean by that? The enemy wants to do anything in this world to distract you, to keep you from being on the course to really be in the relationship of God, he's going to try to convince you that life is about a checklist. It's about doing what is you're supposed to do. And let me give you a perfect example. Around here, we have something called the Monday morning application. If you've never been around, we talk about the Monday morning application every week. In this, this series, we actually have two Monday morning applications. We have one for individuals and one for the family. We're going to get there in a minute. But let me tell you the danger of the Monday morning application. You said there's a danger of the Monday morning application? How is there a danger of the Monday morning application? I thought the Monday morning, I'm talking to myself now. I don't really know why I'm doing it. Okay, here's what the problem is sometimes. Occasionally, somebody will come up to me and say something along the lines of this. Man, I'm so glad you gave me the Monday morning application because I really didn't pay attention to you until then. 
And I really appreciate the summary of that, so now I know how to practice it even though I didn't listen. Guys and ladies, we did not give you, we do not give you the Monday morning application to give you the simplest way to follow Jesus. We give you the Monday morning application as a tool to aid you in following Jesus. And if we think that we are doing the right thing by simply doing the Monday morning application, well, I'm gonna, I don't want to feel guilty, so I'm going to do the Monday morning application, check. And we miss Jesus, we have failed. Because it's about having a relationship with him. Not about doodle, duty. So having said that, let's fight the spiritual battle to remember why we're doing it. And let's look at our Monday morning application for this week. Our individual one is identify one person a day that you can be kind to in an unusual way and try to point them to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died for us. If you have a relationship with him, then that's what this is about. Now, if you're like me, and if you're really doing the, the simple thing, what we end up doing is we sit there and go, okay, he didn't tell me how to point them to Jesus, but you wanted me to do one kind act, so I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I've heard about this pay it forward thing, so I'm going to go to McDonald's, because it's the cheapest restaurant, and I'm going to go through the drive-thru, right? And I'm going to eavesdrop on the person, because there's two lanes there, I'm going to eavesdrop, and as long as it's under $10, I'm going to pull in front of them and say, I'm going to pay for the car behind me, because it was under $10, and I have a Calvary sticker on the back of my window, and then they're going to see the Calvary sticker on the back of the window, and they're going to go, oh, these people love Jesus, I need to go to that church, because they bought my Happy Meal. Check. It's not about doing the simplest thing but actually engaging the people. And sometimes it means you got to get uncomfortable and out of your comfort zone and do what it actually takes to engage. Another example, the family Monday morning application. We want you to come up with, as a way with a family that you can practice hospitality with another family in your neighborhood that you do not know well. And discuss as a family why it's important to practice hospitality. Now, your family may be your roommates. It may be your husband. It may just be you. That's okay. What you're looking for is someone to engage with, not the Smiths who you had seen in about three weeks, right? But the guy who has a, a different religion who dresses a different way. The upstairs neighbor in your apartment who's always walking around like this. And you're going to practice hospitality by getting them some softer shoes. No, that is about you. That was a trick. You're going to practice hospitality without expecting anything in return because you have understood that Jesus died for you. And you know what? We're going to struggle with that. At times, we're not going to understand what that looks like. And at times, we're going to sit there and go, God, I need to be reminded because I can't be good enough. And so that's why the Father sent His Son for us. He said, guys, it's about a relationship with me, but you're going to struggle because none of us can practice enough Monday morning applications to get this right. That's why this is a journey. You are here, but we're going to be progressing on the journey to draw closer to him. So he said, when you gather, if you have a relationship with me, I want you to take the bread. And I want you to break it. And when you take this, I want you to remember my body was broken for you. And when you take the cup, I want you to remember my blood was poured out for you. 
I showed you how to love the unlovable because that was you and me. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to invite you to participate in just a moment as the deacons are going to come and we're going to pass the plate. We're going to take it, hold on to them, and we'll take these separate. They're in the same cup like this. We'll take the bread and then we'll take the, the juice. But right now we want you to focus on your relationship with God. And for some of us, this means we need to repent and say, God, it's, it's been about me and I'm sorry. I want it to be about you. And for some of us, it means we need to have a relationship with Jesus. And we ask that you maybe just pass, not take this, but instead on the way out, talk to us at the next step space about how to be a follower of Jesus. But I hope that you'll find that God is here and willing to talk to you. So as the deacons come forward, Father, would you take this time as a time to where we can be drawn into your presence, that we can sense how good you are and holy you are. Guard us, strengthen us, and help us to know that you are here. We thank you, God, for all you're doing. Would you bless us and guide us? God, in this moment, would you come and be with us? God, I thank you for um, this room. And if anybody here doesn't know you, God, would you help us to find you? In your name we pray. Amen.